are you a robot? I think when it comes to this article, there was some main takeaways that I had. And for those who do not know which article we're talking about, Charles just wrote an op-ed piece on LinkedIn that we're going to be mentioning and going into hopefully talking through these themes that you bring up, Charles, because I think they are poignant and it is important to look at. Now, the article is talking about something that you experienced because your Slack doesn't work anymore. And it doesn't work because you have a computer that was built uh, in the Stone Age as far as computers go, but it was only built uh, less than a decade ago, or I guess a little over a decade ago, I should say, now that we're in 2022. Uh, and since... Apple is no longer giving support to, what is it, High Sierra? The OS, the operating system High Sierra. Now, Slack is jumping on board with that and saying they're not going to give support to High Sierra. And therefore, you woke up today with a message from Slack saying that basically your Slack has been turned off and you have to upgrade. But you can't upgrade because you can't get anything more than high sierra on this old laptop of yours is that the gist of it did i miss any part of it yeah well well it's 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 more i should so I got there's two machines that this affects of mine unfortunately they're the two i use the most um so my um here in my office i've got a, a mac pro it's actually a little bit less than 10 years old it's a mid 2012 and it's like the beast. It's the most powerful Mac they made of its day. So it's like 12 CPUs. It's got 64 gig of RAM. <laughs> the thing's a beast. Um, and there's lots of reasons why it's great because the next version of the Mac, the little cylindrical thing, has all sorts of challenges with it, heat dissipation, and it's non-upgradable. And then after that, they brought back the cheese grater, which is like, you know, I'm not rich enough to own. <laughs> it's like the $6,000 Mac. So mine's the 10 year old $6,000 Mac. And it's, it's like brilliant. It's like the best Mac that I've made, but it's stuck on high Sierra because it's 10 years old. I don't, I don't have a beef with Apple on that. Um, but um, what I do have a beef about is the kill switch that Slack have introduced. Um, so on Friday, we're recording this on Monday. On Friday last week, I was slacking away. And today, I can't. And, um, and I think that's the, that's the tricky thing is really about, is about this kill switch. And I think we're now, we're in a kind of different, um, a different place as a technology industry where we've reached, I would argue we've reached peak computer um, and we've probably reached peak phone as well and probably peak tablets. Like these devices are just not really getting much better from the purpose of the user, from the perspective of the user. Like I can browse the web, I could browse the web a decade ago. I can use messaging platform, I could do that a decade ago. I can write emails, I could do that a decade ago. Unless you're a power user, unless you're doing like 
4K streaming or video editing or like there's very, very little that a new machine is going to be able to offer you that you couldn't get from an old machine. And in so many respects, the most cost effective and the most environmentally conscious thing to do is to buy old. Um, but for these kill switches. And I think this is the difficulty now is that you've got the tech industry, many people see as being a green investment, uh, you know, certainly per, per dollar revenue. Uh, you, you would argue that Meta Facebook is a much greener company than ExxonMobil. Um, but like, really, I think the, the thing we need to be asking ourselves is, is are there strong commercial drivers towards tech companies introducing these kill switches into software kill switches into devices? Um, and does that create a lot of e-waste that is unnecessary? Does that um, perpetuate social injustice unnecessarily? And, and to what level of thinking is going on in these organizations when they're making those decisions? And I guess my article this morning was provocative that this was a very intentional thing that Salesforce Slack decided to do. Um, who knows? It, it may have been just a bunch of engineers that clicked the decommission button um, and didn't think twice about it. But that's really, I think, part of the question here is to what level of intentionality, what level of governance exists, and to what level of standards should we hold these companies to? So especially with Apple, it's really interesting to think about how they've pledged to do things that are so green and so uh, sustainable, like when they don't give you the charging piece, you only get the cable when you buy the new iPhone, except for the fact that now it's to USB-C, it's not to the old USB, so you have to buy a new charging thing anyway, and they just managed to market their way out of that one by saying, oh, we're being more sustainable. Uh, and this one, I have heard or seen a lot on Apple's website that you can trade in your old computer and they'll decommission it for you. And they can hopefully reuse some of those pieces and those parts that are in your old computer. I'm sure you've got a lot to say about that one. But I think the bigger question that everybody wants to know is, why don't you just get a new computer? Well, I think I think the, one of the core tenets of the sustainability movement is something which people may have come across as the four R's. Um, and the four R philosophy is reduce, reuse, repair, recycle. Um, and basically, it's it's not enough for us to be recycling. It's not enough for us to be thinking in terms of using the latest stuff that's energy efficient or environmentally conscious. We need to go back through that process as much as possible. And so the starting point is to reduce and to reuse. And so, I mean, I think this, this is the difficulty is that on the one hand, in order to be a fully participating member of society in 2022, you need to have now, it's not proven, uh, a, a computer that's at least, you know, less than 10 years old, in my case. Um, but on the other hand, um, if you're trying to be uh, the most environmentally conscious you can be, 
then actually a 10-year-old computer or even older, like a 15-year-old computer, is probably good enough to do all the sorts of things that technically it's good enough. It, it has all of the um, all of the capabilities that you need. And so I think this is the this is the challenge: is the tech industry is really now un, potentially unintentionally, but it's it's forcing us uh, down a uh, a conveyor belt towards just continuously upgrading and replacing these devices, which don't need to be replaced or upgraded because they're perfectly functional uh, for for the job that they're used for. And of course, it's in the commercial interests to encourage us to do that. You know, Apple's mm. the most valuable company on the planet. And so its business model is predicated on, on this. And I think what's really interesting about the tech industry is it really stands alone, both in terms of um, taking these types of steps and secondly, being able to get away with it. And I think that those are kind of the two the two challenges that the tech industry have. So, you know, it's like, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you drive, do you drive? Have you got a car? I do, yeah. It's, I mean, I'm, I don't know, like, how old is it? But like, you know, have you got, you got like something which is new or you're driving something which is a bit, a bit it's, more pre uh, From 2005, I think. So, okay. A little older than so, your computer. <laughs> so imagine you get in your 2005 car tomorrow morning and it comes up on a dash and says, hey, Demetrius, really sorry, but I'm a 2005 model. No, no, no. Only 2006 models are able to drive on this road today. And, and that's not so far-fetched because a whole bunch of tech companies are now trying to become car companies or all these claim that they're um, car companies claiming that they're tech companies. And so I think the idea that you might get into your, you know, 2022 vintage Tesla in t 10 years from now, and it comes up and says, sorry, you're out of support, <laughs> your, uh, um, your software is expired, and therefore this is now ready for recycling. Um, I don't think that's too far-fetched. Um, and, and, but somehow we accept in relation to, to, to tech, computers and phones and things, whereas I think we're going to really struggle. We would really struggle doing that in other, in other, in other places. And I think that's that's really the challenge. Is you know the tech industry has found a way of creating an enormous amount of e-waste, uh, and it has these consequences, which is social injustice, and you know the kind of the people who are the most um, economically disadvantaged are the ones that are going to be caught by this. You know, we both know how expensive some of this gear is to to, to buy. Um, and for those people in, in particular, um, you know, they're, they're the ones that are impacted by this more than, more than me or more than you. So I've got two comments on that. The first one is when it comes to the car, actually, if I want to go and drive in Madrid right now, my car cannot go into the center of Madrid because it's too old. And so because it's a diesel and it's too old, it's not able to actually drive in the center of Madrid. So it's already happening in that, like the metaphor that you said, but it, it's a little bit like the same thing that you're talking about. It's not that I can't use my car. I just can't use it in specific areas on specific roads. Just like you can still use your computer if you want. You just can't use specific apps, which brings me to the next thing is there's a lot of 
open source alternatives for Slack. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard any of them before, but I'm just like looking at a web page right now. There's like Rocket Chat or there's Mattermost or Zulip, some of these. I mean, there's even IRC if you want to go way back. <laughs> and you, so like, why not just go with that, right? Like if you're going to get boxed out from Slack, then okay, but it's not like they're the only fish in town or they're not the only game in town. So you could go to something else. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let me tackle those two two points um, in turn. So um, so firstly, I mean, you're absolutely right. In, in terms of um, automobile usage, you know, there's definitely a, uh, a mindset shift that we've, we've gone through from kind of the internal combustion engine towards batterification and electrification. And that's because we are, again, all of these things are value trade-offs. We, we are valuing the clean air that you and I and our children breathe in rich countries like Germany, Portugal, United Kingdom. We're valuing that more than we're valuing the uh, environmental integrity of places where um, which are affected by the manufacture of these vehicles. So there's a massive push to um, to to um, towards the electrification of, of of the automotive industry. And of course, um, like all industries, there's lots of vested interests. There's a lot of lobbying, um, and I think the um, there's a obviously uh, electric vehicles are can be phenomenally profitable. Um, there's also a there's also another downside to electric vehicles aside from the environmental um, harm. And I should say, I'm an electric vehicle driver, so <laughs> a lot of the harm that electric vehicles cause, I only realised um, having having bought one. Um, but the social injustice uh, that electric vehicles cause is that I think um, I'm right in saying that um, you only need um, one third of the number of um, of of man hours to make an electric vehicle than you need to for a traditional internal combustion engine, and then for servicing, it's it's like fractional. It's like one in six or one in eight. So in terms of like economic outcomes, electric vehicles are problematic. But we're definitely in a in a place where very few people are trying to uh, justify, um, you know, us using. Old vehicles, but actually, if you look at the environmental impacts, and I think if you look net at these things, it is you know you driving your two thousand five Opel or whatever is actually probably the best thing for the world that you can do. Um, which is why I keep my two thousand six Prius on the road because you know, it's battered, it's ugly, it's dented, it's not as comfortable or efficient as the day it was new. But um, to take the four R. Um, philosophy of reduce, reuse, repair, recycle. Um, you know, it's it's for me that's very much still in a reuse phase. It, it can be used uh, economically. Uh, it 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 is not as um, you know from a CO two perspective as as efficient as as a as a new one. Um, but actually, the the, the net cost of pr producing it and breaking it down for parts, it's still better to keep it on the road, um, even though it's economically probably beyond salvation um and i think that's that's the kind of the point there and i think when you know we for for cars the car industry we kind of very much live in this world where cars are bought on credit and the insurance regime 
um, all about economical repair actually means that the outcomes that we have, like buying cars every three years, you know, having fender benders and then throwing perfectly good cars away, albeit recycling them and buying new cars again, that, that kind of economic engine that we're in, which the automotive industry has achieved, um, is actually not very sustainable, not very um, ecologically sound. The much, much better thing to do is to do what you're doing and drive around in an old banger. Um, and I think what's, what, what we're now seeing with the tech industry is the same sort of thing. You know, tech being bundled as part of credit. We're seeing Apple now talking about um, a subscription where you get a new device every X months um, as, as an Apple subscribing user. Um, and um, and now we're seeing sort of these kill switches, this kind of intentional sabotage, as I put it in the article. Um, I, I think we're kind of falling into the same place where um, uh, the tech industry is is thinking about its economic engine. How do we force users to to upgrade and and to keep buying this stuff, even though um, even though there's nothing wrong with with older devices? Your second point about open source. I mean, for me that is the answer for sure um it's just bloody inconvenient <laughs> i mean to be sure um Slack has had a, an, an error message for the last six months to say we are no longer supporting this version of slack um but i think there's a big difference between saying that a software version is unsupported and therefore pr providing the kind of risk to the user that you kind of you can use this, but you've got to know what you're doing. I think there's a big difference between doing that and to say to a user, actually, there's a there's a countdown here. Um, and when we reach the end of that countdown, we're just turning this off. And I think this is the this is the piece which I would like to see a lot more transparency from the tech industry around, is when we're buying these products and we're first installing these products, um, we should have um some disclosure from the companies how long they intend to support these products for how long they intend to uh for, for them to be um to, for them to be serviceable and i think you know that total cost of ownership um, is going to be increasingly important for people uh to be thinking about particularly as we're in this kind of economic situation with you know higher inflation and high cost of living i think this is something that people are going to be demanding more so there's something that I, I'm thinking about just as you're going through it. And I mean, supporting it, every computer or every operating system out there is out of the question. It's just not feasible unless Salesforce Slack wants to hire a ton more engineers that are just focused on that very small subset of the market of people like yourself who are not upgrading. And so I'm just wondering like how you see that being viable with the system that we're in considering like Slack, they wanna make money. So they're not going to just go out and hire a few dozen extra engineers for this small segment if at the end of the day, they can just turn it off and then forget about it and take their losses. So I think there's a difference between support um, um, and sabotage, which is what I'm talking about. So um, let's take Apple, uh, because Apple plays slightly 
high up the food chain than Slack. So, you know, Apple made my MacBook um, and, you know, it's fair. I think it's some point that my MacBook, you know, won't necessarily be supported by by Apple. Um, I'm, I think I'm cool with that. I think I would like probably a little bit longer support from Apple um, because I know technically, I mean, I use this thing every day, you know, it, 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 it laps up High Sierra and all the applications that it runs. It doesn't grind to a, to, to a halt. Um, and so actually I'm, I'm fairly confident it would run technically, it would run later versions of MacOS. Um, and in fact, I'm, what I found this morning is lots of people have been direct messaging me saying, oh, there's these clever little workarounds where you can install Monterey or Big Sur on these old devices. Um, but, you know, ultimately Slack's defense for what they've done is cybersecurity, the kind of the great catch-all. It's like the, the 2020s equivalent of saying, oh, you know, us bombing Iraq or, you know, doing all sorts of things, you know, from a geopolitical perspective is for national security. It's like cybersecurity. It's like the big externality that everyone can blame anything on and not be open for questions. And actually, I think it's that that needs a lot more scrutiny to it, because certainly all the hackers that I've ever come across, all of the, um, you know, the, the people who are, you know, the cyber criminals, um, you know, and I think it's a very fine line between, you know, people who are doing work on research and, um, and and actually advancing our understanding of cyber risks and people who are deemed as criminal, um, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, you know, those people tend to be the most environmentally conscious, the most critical of the tech industry. Um, and I think most of those people will be horrified to learn that, um, you know, they're being used as a scapegoat that, that's, um, uh, that's perpetuating e-waste. But anyway, um, everyone's blaming us on cyber risks. But my point being that patching your operating system <laughs> in order to get it to run on your computer is from a cyber risk perspective, probably the most dumb thing you can think of doing. <laughs> so I'm not gonna do that. Um, that, that, would be, um, that would be really, really, really silly. Um, but there's other things I can do. I can install Chromos, for example, or whatever the new, is it Chromeflex? I can't remember the name of it, but Google's got a, a very, very light touch operating system. Um, which um, will, will basically turn an old MacBook into a Chromebook, and um, you know it'll probably therefore keep keep it another decade in service. Um, so there's lots of things like that that um, that can be done. Um, but um, but I think I think the real um, you know I, I think the real story here is this kind of sabotage, um, and I think that's what we've seen today. Is that it's not about Slack saying. We, uh, you know, I think for them to say we're not going to write software anymore for High Sierra, that's okay. You know, I, I therefore have a choice whether I want to upgrade. It should be, it should be about incentive. It should be about features. There should be this kind of new feature. That's what innovation's about. Is about driving people to want to have something newer because there's something it can do that the old version couldn't. The truth is about messaging apps. We, we might be shit of ideas of like how much better a messaging app can be. Um, and therefore, I think it's a little bit of a kind of cop out to say, you know, the engineers, you know, haven't got the headspace to support, you know, this is really about innovation. Um, so, um, and I think the other thing, you know, so them saying, you know, we're not gonna write software, that's okay. For them to say, we're not gonna support users on old versions, I'm totally cool with that. Um, you know, I am in the tail here, 
of of users running an old um, operating system. And so, you know, I I wouldn't dream of contacting Slack and saying, "Hey, I've noticed this bug," or "Hey, there's this weird quirk," and expecting to get a response. I'm totally okay with. Sorry, we don't support this anymore. Here's a user community that can help you. Um, I'll be totally okay with that. Um, what I'm not okay with is the act of sabotage um, to say, you know, they've literally just, and, and the point is the irony here is on Earth Day, <laughs> this is the irony, on Earth Day, the day that they're high-fiving and chest-pumping the however many trillion trees they're planning to plant, <laughs> that's the day that they decide to push the e-waste button. Um, so it's the sabotage here that I think is uh, it's a critical thing. And maybe just one more point, Dee. I mean, this isn't the first example of this kind. Um, and I'm picking on Salesforce here. Uh, and I'm picking on Slack because, um, well, because I'm affected by it, for one. Um, and therefore, I think it's important to use your voice uh, to draw attention to these things when you come across them, um, and particularly if you're personally affected by them. Um, but also, secondly, because I think it's the inconsistency. This is, and this is kind of the core of what we're doing at Ethics Grade is we, we're trying to hold organizations to account on the standards that they hold themselves to. And so in Salesforce's case, you know, they're saying trust is our number one uh, corporate value. And obviously trust breaks down into cybersecurity. So what they're saying is, you know, cybersecurity is the most important thing to us. You know, your data is always gonna be secure. As I said, I think it's a bit of a cop out. I think, you know, what security risk am I running by running High Sierra? You know, tell me. <laughs> that would be useful. If trust really is the top corporate value and need the problem here, then at least tell us what it is. But the number like two or three corporate value is about um, is about social justice and diversity and inclusion. And this type of activity is something which makes those things worse. And I think number five on the list of corp top corporate um, value is sustainability. And this is this is exactly something which makes it worse. And so I suspect, A, they haven't thought about it in these terms, um, or B, that they have thought about it and they've made a trade-off. Um, and if that is true, then I think um, they need to be much more explicit about these, these sorts of points. And I think when they do affect users in this way, um, they should not just be going kind of, this is our policy, computer says, no, you have no right of, um, of recourse. What they're doing instead is saying, okay, we're going to put this old version of the software into the open source uh, community and therefore uh, you can continue running it if you want to support yourself or if the community wants to support it. That would be a much more responsible um, approach and it's hopefully that sort of thing that we, we will see more of in the future. I see, because that was my next question was you can't just expect them to leave this alone and then nobody is going to deal with it and it's continuously going to get worse and worse and be a worse and worse user experience. And then you've got people that are using it and having this poor user experience and they're complaining to Slack or they're, they're telling Slack, hey, this is really bad. And I know that you said you wouldn't do that, but you understand the risks that you're about to take i'm not so sure if my mom who hasn't upgraded her os in ages would still understand that uh so 
what, if but what user experience do you mean? What what um what poor user experience? You mean the if, kind of what I see is that if they stop supporting it or they just stop working on it, right? And it gets gradually worse and worse because as time goes on, things continue to advance and they can't the new slacks that all of your colleagues or all of your team is working on they are not as compatible with this one because yours has just been totally forgotten. They don't do tests on yours anymore. So now you're having trouble sending messages or your messages are slow or your Slack is loading slow or whatever it is that makes the whole user experience painful for you. But that's the point, dude. This is the point is that it's frigging messaging app. It's like the user experience doesn't get worse. I mean, like my ability to send you a message, um, there's no kind of qualitative difference in that over time. Like, yeah, I, I guess it might be nice to have messages that have confetti throwing across the screen or flashing a different shade of blue. I think it, I think it comes down to more of like, well, maybe they make some design decisions on the technological level. They're choosing to create some kind of architecture or they're incorporating certain new languages sure, that but it, aren't but it's a messaging be... app it's like that's my point though is that we've reached peak computer there's no new feature like none challenge me on this there's no new feature that a messaging app company can possibly think of that's going to require more computing power on my desk than my 12 cpu mac pro from 2012 like zilch there's nothing. The messaging app, it's one of the most basic things that a computer can do. And when I wrote the article, I didn't really, you know, I didn't want to kind of turn this into like war and peace, but the the picture I chose was very deliberate because I, I chose a picture of a, a 1978 TRS-80 uh, next to my 2011 uh, Mac Pro, uh, MacBook Pro, sorry. And, um, you know, neither of those computers can run Slack today, um, which I thought was quite funny. Um, but the difference between those two computers is the 1978 TRS-80 works exactly as well as it did the day it was new. All the software that came with it the day it was new still runs exactly the same as it did the day it was new. And like we could do that in 1978. And guess what? One of those pieces of software was, you guessed it, a messaging app. <laughs> we called them BBS systems back then still works i can tell net from that machine i can send other users messages it works just as well in 2022 that it did in 1978 yeah i'm thinking more along the lines of they are like you said they're going to want the engineers at slack want to push the envelope and they want to create video calls push them or they want to create but this is the thing it's like do the different parts but we've reached peak computer. This is this is the uncomfortable truth. We've reached peak computer, and we reached peak car in I don't know 1980 or something. Like if you look at the automotive industry, like you look at the things that cars, the innovation that went through cars in the 20th century. Like it was speed probably first, and then like, like comfort, and then reliability. I don't know, maybe in that order, and then efficiency. And then safety. But really, from like 1980 to today, there's not really been 
a ton of innovation in, in cars. And I, I'm sure I'm going to open myself to a barrage of abuse for that statement. But I think it's true. Like, you know, a car of the 1980s, um, you know, I, I don't know, what I was growing up with was like a Ford Sierra or Mercedes 190E or Audi 80, you know, put next to a modern car. Yes, the modern car will be faster on a racetrack, but broadly speaking, all of the things that you expect a car to have, electric windows, an airbag, ABS brakes, all of those things existed 40 years ago. And so what the automotive industry has had to do is come up with new clever ways of forcing us to throw away perfectly good cars and to keep making, buying better ones before those cars are no longer um, you know, complete rubbish, before that they've, they've reached the end of their economic, uh, or, or their serviceable life rather. And I'm saying that the tech industry is about to do the same thing. And that's that's the warning here, is that you know people come up with stuff to say, well, you know, it's for cyber risk or it's for innovation purposes or whatever. No, the truth is we've reached peak computer. There's not much that you're doing with a computer today that you couldn't do with a computer of yesterday generation. And I think now if you're buying a M1 Mac, which are amazing machines, like the phenomenal engineering, the latest Mac and MacBooks have, I mean, just incredible my worry is, is that in 10 years' time, people will be having the same conversation because Slack no longer works on their M1 Mac Pro Max processor. I mean, that's just bonkers because fundamentally it's still a messaging app. I cannot believe there's anything that people will be doing unless it's like video editing, animation, 3D rendering, all the cutting edge stuff. There's nothing that you'll be doing with a computer of today's generation. And yet the tech industry are encouraging to us to throw that stuff away. There, uh, there is a interesting thing with the car analogy. I mean, the miles per gallon probably is the biggest thing that has changed over the last 40 years. Right. And also the, the weight and the safety, like I feel much safer in a car that was built yesterday than I would in a car that was built in the eighties. Uh, maybe that's just my feeling, but I feel like there's a lot more tests. It's much more rigorous when you're going through what a car has to do to get its certifications and be on the road. Uh, I would much rather get into an accident in a brand new car than a car from the 80s. I don't know about you, though. I think I think those two things are worth looking at. So, um, so Mars per gallon, like, Totally. Um, so I'm just thinking about the cars that I've got. I've got a 1973 Volkswagen. It would do like 20 miles per gallon um, if it was running okay, and maybe 25 if you got the engine tuned <laughs> until it wasn't running okay because the reliability of cars of the 70s era wasn't great. So 20 to 25 miles per gallon. Um, and compared to my Prius, which is 50 miles per gallon, um you know that's like half as good but that's like what 33 years difference between the two vehicles and we got twice as better um my Prius to a modern Prius we're looking at maybe like 50 miles per gallon to 55 miles per gallon and that's like a 17 year gap um so I think we 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 I think my argument that we kind of we reached peak car in the 80s 90s I think that's probably fair 
Um, safety, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit more with you on that one. I mean, I definitely would not want to have an accident with my 1973 Volkswagen. For one thing, the steering column uh, is solid. It's a solid rod. The late models had a collapsible steering column. So if you had a head-on accident, the steering column would actually deform. Um, mine, if I had a head-on accident, it would impale me. <laughs> so you definitely do not want to exactly. be having an accident one of those. Exactly. And worse, those camper vans, there's like literally like that much metal <laughs> between <laughs> me and the car that you've just driven into the back of. So that just does not. Bear. I mean, I saw the Volkswagen bringing out a new camper van, and I was very reassured to see this nice big buffer zone um, in front of mm -hmm. where your legs would be and where the, the front of the car. So road safety's definitely got better. But again, I, I'm not sure it has in the last 15 years um, as much as we might think. I think, you know, if and if and again, this is about priority. If our priority as a species is to reduce the amount of deaths caused on the road then we should all as a species go out and buy the latest car with an end cap rating of five like without question if our goal as a species is to run the latest software that mark benioff and his team want to create for us and do so with the smallest amount of electricity per um for, per you know per message sent or email sent or whatever the metric of productivity might be, then we should all run off and get ourselves a brand new Apple M1 MacBook. Um, but if our goal is to make sure this planet is still here broadly the same as it is today, 100 years from now, then we should not be doing those two things. I think that's my point. Well, it sounds to me like you're just looking for a os that can run you the basics that will never be outdated that will continue to upgrade with everything as it goes along and you're not going to hit any snags in the road where you say oh because you got this 10 or 20 or 30 year old version of this computer we're no longer allowing you to update your os you want something that's basic that can surf the web that can have your messaging apps and that's it. Is that is that like a fair assessment? You want something that can just do that and it can go ride the wave for as long as you possibly can keep the thing on. Yeah, and I and I and I think this is my point about peak computer. And that is like if we actually analyze what most of us do with these machines. Um, there's no technical reason why they can't be kept in service well until our needs change. And I think that's the, that's the point. I mean, my, my 2011 MacBook Pro doesn't have a retina screen. Um, okay, it's only full HD. Um, it, it only has a, I don't know, a 720p camera. The webcam in it is pretty crap. I mean, MacBooks have always had crap webcams even even the modern ones have i mean the latest ones perhaps not but my wife's got a 2015 mac but webcam and that is shit um so like these are the these are the things that it doesn't do um and so you know sure like machine learning training models on my macbook pro not gonna happen um there's lots of things like 3d rendering video animation lots of things that i might want to do that that wouldn't be the suitable 
machine for the task. But I think that's that's a different point. And I think we, you know, if I look at other, I'm mean, using another analogy, I mean, if I look at garden shed, you know, I've got things in my garden shed for the garden we've just bought. Um, and there's things in the garden shed which I've had, which are like a hundred years old. Like when my dad passed away, I inherited his spade and his rake and all of his garden tools. And sure, they're a bit rusty and sure the wood needs replacing in a few places, but broadly speaking, they're as good as the day they were new. They do the same job as the day they were new. And so there's like, I think in that kind of context, or a kitchen is another example. There's things in a kitchen a household would accumulate over a lifetime where, you know, the, the, the machines that are used, maybe the fridge or the refrigerator or the blender or whatever, you know, maybe the plastic's gone a bit creamy and it doesn't look as flash as something which is brand new. But broadly speaking, it does the same job. And there's no real great innovation that would make you throw that stuff away. But we have a kind of selection. We have knives and cutlery and tools, which are maybe, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old. And maybe you have a Vitamix or maybe you have one of those, um, what are those kind of crazy um, expensive um, uh, blenders? All singing or dancing things called in the, in the kitchen. You probably uh, got yeah. um, <laughs> So in, yeah, the uh, I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, Thermomix. Thermomix, that's the one. Yeah, I mean, they're they're like nuts. Um, but like, there's plate. You know, you wouldn't just have one of those, and equally, you wouldn't just throw away all of your old kitchen tools because you just bought one. Like, I think everything has a place. Um, and I think that's kind of what I'm saying here about um about peak computer. Um. You know, I think I think unless you are a specialist, unless there's specialist tasks that you are doing, I think there's very, very, very little reason now to replace computers, except for the fact that tech companies force you to by sabotaging them in the way that Slack did this weekend. This might answer your question. According to Wikipedia, 42 is the natural number that follows 42. <laughs> Is Alexa coming to our defense here? Um, I hear that in the background. But this is the, this is the thing about, about e I mean, Alexa, when I mean, I've got, I don't know how many of these damn things are in my house, 15, 20 Alexas. I'm very conscious that at some point, Bezos is going to wake up and say, now we need to get people to replace their old Alexas. So let's just turn off the generation one. And then we've just generated a huge amount of e-waste when, you know, the thing, all it is, is a speaker and a, and a microphone and an internet connection. It's a very basic device. Um, we're talking about kitchen appliances. I bought my wife wait, wait, wait. a Can we stay on scales. Alexa real fast? Sure. How just don't mention the call. Do <laughs> but I don't understand how you of all people who you know you're getting spied on with that Alexa and you're totally cool with it? Totally cool with it. Um, so I know that there's definitely been those, those stories about people uh, in Amazon HQ laughing about things that they've heard recorded at people's houses. And it's a real shame that that happened because it has definitely hit trust in, in that ecosystem. Um, but, you know, are Amazon, like, using the voice recordings uh, in such a way to, like, spy on people? Is it, a, is it tr a truly a surveillance product? Um, no, I don't, I don't believe it is. Um, am I comfortable about Amazon 
having those devices all around my house listening to lots of things no not particularly um and in some cases um i've engineered a solution where um the devices switch off uh, in certain you know, hard switch off so my bedroom for example i've got a alexa and it's 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 wired up to the light switch so when i kill the lights it kills alexa um you know hard off no power won't do anything because so i really don't want to have bezos listening to my snoring or grunting at night um so i think i think there's um there's things that you can do as an intelligent i also think and i wrote this years ago i think that amazon have made some fundamentally mistaken design choice with an alexa um device because um most electronic equipment um you have a you know when it's working normally it doesn't display anything to tell you anything it, it works normally it's in its kind of um it's an inert state um and when there's a malfunction or something that needs to grab your attention then it displays a warning that's kind of default setting of technology but with alexa what they've done is they've made the mute button turn the little ring red so if you want to kind of have some privacy you can do it you've got a button to give yourself privacy but what it does is it now glows red to say I'm malfunctioning. I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm not listening to you right now. And obviously that is bloody annoying. What does that mean? Most people don't press the mute button even though they want to. Um, you know, and, and to actually pull the thing out of the wall to turn off the switch to kill power to it is, is, a, is a hassle because then when you turn it back on, when you want it to work, you've now got to wait for the thing to boot up. So, so there's lots of faults with, with, with Alexa. And so, and my last point is, it's also the best voice commands system on the market today. Um, and I'm just looking forward to the day when I can jailbreak it off Alexa onto a open source voice recognition system where the voice recognition is happening locally on my network or locally on the device even um, and isn't sending a continuous voice stream back to AWS headquarters. Um, so I'm looking forward to that day. And the day that that comes, I'll be ripping all of these things out and replacing the operating system with something open source. But as of today, as a voice command system, it's it's worth it, is my opinion, um, mm. even though it's flawed. But my, my, so my worry there is, is Bezos turns around and says, all of those people with Generation 1 Alexas, yeah, cut off access. And my my bet is that's going to happen, D, before too long. We saw yeah. it with Sonos. We saw it with Belkin. We saw it today with Black. We're going to see it with more devices. And that, sorry, the, the rant, I don't want to major rant here, but, but when you buy them, you know, you're buying something for life. You know, you, you, you don't think how much of a, of, a, of a lifetime this thing has. But it's definitely baked into the economics. It wasn't that wasn't true in the early 2000s or the 90s. They had a finite usable life because technology progress was moving so much faster. Now that's not happening. You know, technology broke like the capability that we want from these devices is not it, the, 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 the that demand on innovation is not progressing at the same pace. And therefore, um, you know, you can have a 10, 12, 15 year old machine that's perfectly usable 
And so they, they have to engineer in other ways to get you to upgrade it. And that's not communicated at point of purchase. It, and I think it should be. If you're told when you buy a MacBook, this thing is costing you 2000 bucks, and it will be cease to be functional in 2032, then that's a choice that Apple is giving you as a user. And I think most people would be put off by that choice. They would look for alternatives. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because as far as taxes go, right, you get X amount of time for a new laptop to amortize it and X amount of time for uh, a phone. And I think actually just because of COVID in the U.S. at least, all that you can now pay up front or you amortize it all up front. But it used to be, I think it was five years for a laptop and then three years for a phone, things like that. So on one level, there already is that kind of assumption that you're going to be renewing and you're continuously renewing. I do completely see your point that the renewing is not necessary and these kill switches are forcing people to do things that do not need to happen. I think there is a a way that there should be like <laughs> going back to Apple it's like they need to create for the Charleses of the world the basic model that's just going to go and it's going to be able to upgrade to whatever it needs to upgrade to because you're not training any machine learning models. You're not doing the crazy uh, Premiere Pro or graphics and you're just doing the basic stuff. So get the Apple basic if that was out there that would be your signature model i think charles so it can just ride the wave and continue with this peak computing that you're talking about the other thing that i was thinking about is that can i just jump this... in don't jump in there it's it's not about upgrade it's really not about upgrade it's that like what i expect is that when i buy it like you know my macbook or my mac pro or my wife's macbook which you know was new i think when we bought it is um is that like, you know, you, you buy it, you install the software, you expect as like a minimum, that's like how it will be. I, I fully accept if I upgrade it, then its performance might, um, might decline because I'm asking the computer to do more than what it was designed for. And which is why part of the reason why Apple say, I can't upgrade my OS beyond High Sierra. I think that's BS, frankly. I think technically it would run Monterey or or, um, or Big Sur or something. And maybe Apple will say, well, yeah, but we haven't got the engineers to think of all the permutations of computers that this might run on. That's also kind of BS because, you know, there's actually the number of permutations of architecture. Well, Apple makes them. It's not like Microsoft or Windows where it's like any Tom, Dick or Harry can build a, 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 a PC. So, um, but I, I think upgrading, I would accept it would denigrate performance. All I'm asking for is that the, the functionality you get when the day this is born is the functionality you should expect until it ceases to function. And that's that's the key thing there. And about the basic model, I think this is the interesting thing I've learned myself is that I've always tried to buy not the basic model, actually. I've always tried to buy the best model I could, even if it wasn't a new model, because I've always worked on the basis it will last longer I think that's kind of a, a value I've, I've got, which I may need to reconsider when it comes to technology, 
Yeah. Now, there's always in the past, I've always thought there's a false economy. Buying the cheapest item usually means you're buying something that's not going to last very long and will break and you'll have to replace. And there's a false economy in that. So I've I've always been quite disciplined of why I run like the world's most expensive Mac from 10 years ago, because I felt by buying the quality machine, I'm much, I'm much more likely to have something that will last forever. Um and I think from a four arms principle, that's exactly the sort of behavior that more of us should do on more things. Um, but you're right. I think the tech industry is is thinking about this differently and it's kind of reframing this differently. I feel like people who use Linux don't have this problem. Um, well, <laughs> so I've got a, I've got a, a Dell Precision, which is a really, really great laptop that Dell make. Um, and I, I did upgrade that to Debian 11 recently, and it runs like a dog. <laughs> it runs like a dog. So, um, so I'm going to take it back to Debian 9, and yeah, it will probably do stuff kind of pretty okay. Um, so, but again, like the problem with running an old OS is um, one finding the damn software. Like you wouldn't believe how difficult it is to find some of these um, packages from from yesteryear. And again, this is what I come back to: the difference between support and sabotage. Support is is it's okay for Microsoft or Salesforce to say we're no longer going to help users who find it tricky. But why take the packages offline? Why make it difficult for people to be able to download? You know, it, it costs nothing to run the software. Um, I was recently trying to get a printer the, driver. That comes back to the cybersecurity piece where, as you said, it's like, oh, well, I want to know what cybersecurity risks I have if there are any. But if they did tell you, they're also basically advertising where the flaws are, right? So then everybody's going to know. And The whole open source community is predicated on that idea that by having more brains looking at the problem, you're making the problem more secure. Um, and so I think there's no, there's just, there's just no reason not to, I think. I was just gonna say, I, I had a, I've got an old printer, I was for a printer driver. I couldn't, it's a Canon, I couldn't find the software um, at all, anywhere. No software for it at all. There's really no reason why, I mean, sure, I should have kept the CD. <laughs> Um, there's really no reason uh, for companies not to provide an archive for those things. It costs them nothing at all. And again, the benefit in terms of e-waste is significant. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that um, e-waste. Hopefully, the recycling piece, as you were talking about in those four R's, becomes more and more product predominant and we can figure out better ways to recycle and better ways to reuse or just strip the parts and burn them down to their essence and then re-implement them into new parts and give them new lives or but maybe that's a little bit idealistic of me uh, to think that the technology is going to wind up in the right hands because most of the time when you throw something away i can just think of my own computers that i've had over my lifetime and they're all sitting at home they haven't made their way back to the manufacturer who is potentially going to recycle them so 
I, I can see that. I definitely understand that piece. It's probably better. It's probably better that they're sitting on a shelf or in a cupboard somewhere than than them doing what would have otherwise happened. You know, best case scenario, being burned in West Africa or China, because that's what happens to this stuff when you throw it away. You know, you sort it into the old MacBook box at the recycling center and it gets shipped off way across the planet and then incinerated. You know, this stuff doesn't get um, split up for parts. Um, but but beyond that, I mean, I think we're not going to solve climate um, problems just by recycling. We have to go further into the four hours. We have to reduce and reuse. That has to be part of the solution. You know, we can't just keep buying new stuff and then like perfectly breaking it down for parts again. Uh, that that in itself is not enough. I think, you know, I've learned a lot in the last you know few years of working in the ESG space that actually, um, you know, this is the uncomfortable truth is that we we really have to change so much of our behavior if we're going to solve some of these big, big ticket items. Um, and um, yeah, and tech companies could help us a lot more. There is something I think about when it comes to the incentives and how much momentum we have. And I really find it hard to envision a day that you speak of where we buy less uh, just because of the way that our society is built. Yeah, to think about the reduce, reuse, recycle, repair chain is, in my mind, it is incredibly useful. It's incredibly valuable for what we uh, what we should do. But when you are faced with these choices of, oh, my, my computer is now going really slow. So what should I do here? Should I try and suffer through the slowness of my computer? Or should I get a new one? Or the same with the phone? I mean, that's why the last two phones that I've had, I used them until they basically stopped working because they were too slow or the battery was never holding a charge, any of that. Uh, so yeah, it, for me, the whole reduce piece of this puzzle, it just seems like society is not, um, it's going to be a hard drug to get off of. I mean, that was a very pregnant pause. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you because I think what you just said, that thought process you've just gone through is is exactly what I've experienced. It is going to be fucking crazily hard for us to change the incentive structures, but not impossible. And, and, I, and, I, and I think if, if I believed it was impossible, then I would be like, <laughs> just give that up and be, yeah, uh, be, be doing other things with my life. But um but here's, here's the thing, like, I was talking to an engineer at Apple about this, like, a couple of weeks ago, and um, 
ago, the, the point he raised, which is a great point, is something called a combinatorial exposure. Uh, you know, as soon as you look at all the permutations and the permutations of the permutations and the permutations of the permutations of the permutations, you just end up with too big a problem. And when it comes to things like cyber risks and security and supporting old devices, then it's just too hard to write software today that takes into consideration all those different permutations. But yeah, I, I get that. Maybe this is also the opportunity. Maybe if we really dramatically reduce the number of people that we have building this stuff, physic, the physical machines, and have more people doing the intellectual work of writing software, maybe we'll make a better job of it. And so maybe that orientation is just wrong. I mean, so writing software has like almost no environmental impact. Sure, we're burning electricity, we're turning electricity into mathematics, but um, it's a lot better than designing new pieces of aluminium, plastic and gorilla glass and silicon, which is what these things are made of. You know, maybe we should just have less hardware designers in the world and more software engineers. Uh, and maybe we should be incentivizing the software engineers to be thinking about how to write code more efficiently uh, and to be thinking about these things. Um, and maybe a, a lot more cybersecurity research needs to be spent on making sure that it's not just the latest devices that are secure, but also the old devices as well. Um, and I think, I, think, I think the tech industry could do a lot more. The tech industry, unfortunately, is, a, is, is like a heroin addict addicted to the crack that is recurring revenue. And I think that's, um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a self-destructive addiction and, um, and, there's a, and there's a better way and we will get there. The open source community is, you know, there's a lot of engineers who clock out. I'm sure there's lots of people working for Salesforce listening to this who clock off at five o'clock and then wear a different hat writing open source code um and 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 creating some great great stuff and you know i know certainly in your mlops community there's lots of people who do that so i think there is hope out there that these projects will will uh, will make a difference um and there's also some really good examples i would say of companies who've done the right thing i mean i i, I spent the last hour talking about all the bad stuff um you know a good example sun sun microsystems i think in like uh I was going to have to fact check this for me, like 2000, 2002, something like that. Um, they acquired um, the, uh, the license for um, a Microsoft Office competitor product. I don't, remember, I don't remember which one. It wasn't Lotus that went to IBM, but it, one of those back in the 90s, way before your time, D, there was Microsoft Office, there was Lotus Notes, which was... Um, the sort of Lotus equivalent, and there was this other one. Anyway, this other one ended up with um, with Sun, and what Sun did, they just gifted it. They just took the code and said, "We're no longer going to support this. We're no longer going to develop it. We're going to sunset this entire, you know, however many fifteen years of development that have gone into this product because we can't compete with Microsoft. But what we are going to do is we're just going to gift it to the open source community." And they did. They gifted the whole source code, and um, and now, 20 years later, um, there are still people developing that. And it's called um, LibreOffice, which is OpenOffice was what it's based on. And so, um, 
you know, are people probably who work at Salesforce who are contributing to that to those projects. So you know, there's, there is hope here. I think within the software industry, um, and I, I would I would be so much happier if the software industry and the tech industry as a whole was the perfect example of a green, environmentally friendly, environmentally conscious, social injustice conscious community that was really kind of the castle on the hill as the best example. And that's what we're striving for, I think. What we're doing an ethics grade is hoping to get the tech, tech industry there because we should, as an industry, be best at this stuff given the fantastic minds, the amount of money that people make um, and the hard work that people do. But unfortunately, in many cases, we are no better than big tobacco, big oil. Um, and, uh, and that's a great shame. Mm. Well, I think we can end it on that note. That was well put and well summarized. So this has been awesome, man. As always, thanks for chatting with me. And I appreciate you walking it through, walking this, walking through this with me. There we go. Sentences are hard sometimes. Words are even harder. All right. Cool. We'll see you and, later. Um, and there's a, um, I don't know if anyone can see this in my, in my shot, but uh, anyone who can, you can see what that is? Yeah. You're pointing to a an old computer there what is that um well why don't we make that a little competition for people anyone anyone who can recognize what that is so people who are listening on the podcast you'll have to listen you'll have to watch the, the youtube but um i keep that i keep that on my desk as a reminder for exactly this point which is mm. some things work just as well as the day they came out of the factory it's got a few scratches, it's got a few dents, but it's it's still great. And there are some people, it's probably the only computer that I'm allowed to, <laughs> to write code for. Because <laughs> it's the only one that doesn't affect other people when it goes wrong. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, we'll see all you all right. later. And thanks for tuning in to another session of Are You Robot?